My name is Keith Cowart, lead pastor of Christ Community, and each week I or one of our pastors will bring a message that we pray will stir your heart. We believe that God is the source of life and truth and that His Word is one of the primary means through which we make that vital connection with God. It's our hope that whether you're already a believer or just beginning to open your heart to God, that the truth of His Word would point you to Him. He came that you would have life and that more abundantly. Now, if you're just joining us, um, we are taking the time here in the early part of the year to remember why God raised up this church, why he called us into being. Uh, The answer is not a what, but a who. God has not called us to be a thing, an institution. God did not need uh, uh, bricks and mortar. What he is after is a people, a people who will love him, who will know him, and who will follow him in all of their life. If you look in the Old Testament, God is constantly reminding the people of Israel who they are. And the reason for that is that God knows how short our memory is. He knows how quickly we forget things that meant so much to us in the past. And so he is constantly reminding us uh, to take time to remember who we are and why we exist. And we want to do that as a church. And I I want to remind you this morning that this is not a call to some nebulous group of people. This is a call to you and to me. We are the church. This is a call to every one of us who's here this morning and who will be here in the second service. Uh, So this is a call to you and to us together to live out together who God has called us to be. We have been looking again at our river of life. This is a, a picture that's meant to show us what our life is all about in Christ. We The river represents the life of God. And essentially, Jesus called us to embrace and to move into the life of God. We are to connect with Him. And and there are five primary ways that we connect with God. We connect with God in worship. We connect with God as we grow in discipleship. We connect with God as we connect with one another and meet in fellowship. We connect with God as we offer our gifts to be used to serve Him. And we connect with God as we take the message of the gospel into the world. These are the five primary, I mean, in essence, this is the Christian life. These five points on the river represent what the Christian life is all about. Last week we talked about worship, and we said very very straightforwardly, God does not desire uh, an institution that simply holds services. God wants a people who love Him passionately, who love Him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. This week as we turn to grow, uh, we are reminded that again that God is not just after a people who have been indoctrinated in what they are to believe and how they are to behave. God wants a people who know Jesus and are following Him in every aspect of their lives. So that's what we want to talk about this morning um, as we uh, begin to understand this call to growth. I want to just begin with a scripture from Ephesians 4 that in essence represents Paul's vision for the church. Paul's vision for the church. 
Paul says, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. Those who are called into leadership, our staff, these uh, life school teachers, everyone who leads in our church, our calling is not to do the work of ministry, but to equip the whole body to equip the whole body to live out the calling of Jesus Christ on our lives. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, I just want you to notice there the the, the great advantages of being a part of the body of Christ. It says here that we will be equipped. We will be trained to use the gifts that God has given us. We will live together in unity. We will attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What he's saying there is that as we move into maturity, we experience more and more of the reality of God in our lives. And that's a good thing. It says here that we will not be tossed to and fro. We will not be deceived, but instead we will be built up in love. That's Paul's vision for the church. But now let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Uh, we, I want to begin this morning not, by not taking anything for granted, because I, I think the most fundamental question is simply, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? When we use the word disciple, uh, what we're really saying is simply a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what a disciple is. One who, a disciple is one who follows the life and teachings of another. And for us as Christians, that person is Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Is it simply going to church? Obviously not. Is it, is it simply believing in God or believing that a God exists? James says very convictingly, you say you believe in God, well, so do the devils. In fact, the demons are so convinced of the reality of God, they shudder every time his name is proclaimed. Being a follower of Jesus is not simply believing that there is a God. Uh, believing, uh, it's not just believing in the Ten Commandments or, or trying to live a good life. It's not even praying or reading the Bible. It's possible to do those things and not truly follow Jesus. I want to make this as simple as I possibly can, and I want to put it over the overhead so you can see it. To be a follower of Jesus simply means this. To begin with, it means that I understand and embrace the the truth that I am a sinner and I cannot save myself. That means that there is nothing that I can do to make myself worthy of salvation. There's nothing I can do to make myself holy. We start by acknowledging our helplessness, that we can't do it on our own. 
Secondly, it means to put our trust in Jesus Christ. To put our trust in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross when he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. When he paid the price for our sin. So Christianity is looking to Jesus and saying, I'm no longer going to put my trust in me. I'm going to put my trust in what you've already done for me. And then it is learning, spending the rest of my life growing in a personal relationship with him in which I recognize that he is Lord of my life. Being a follower of Jesus is first and foremost about having a personal relationship with Jesus, in which we are continually growing more and more like him. Let's turn over to Mark 8, 34 through 38. Jesus was walking with his disciples. And uh, on this particular time, uh, in this particular instance, he, he strikes up a conversation by asking them this question in Mark 8, 27. Who do people say that I am? Jesus knows that more and more people are talking about him. Jesus knows that he's beginning to get a reputation. Jesus knows that more and more people are aware of his presence. And so he asks his disciples, hey, what are are folks out there saying? Who do people say that I am? Um, They replied, some say John the Baptist. Some others say Elijah. Still others, one of the prophets. But Jesus said to them, but who, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And let me just pause there and say, first of all, that salvation begins when we answer that question. Ultimately, it doesn't matter what people say about Jesus. It doesn't matter what your grandmama and granddaddy said about Jesus or your mama and your daddy or or anybody else that you have looked at or followed in your life. Ultimately, the question is, who do you say that he is? Is he merely a good man? Was he simply a good teacher? Or was he the son of God who came to save your life and to give you life? That is the question. Peter answered, you are the Christ. Now the next thing Jesus does in verse 31, it says, he then began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Why did Peter rebuke him? Because Peter and the other disciples initially We're we're pretty confused about who Jesus was. They were convinced initially that Jesus had come to set up an earthly kingdom. That he was a political, his agenda was a political agenda. That he had come to overthrow the Roman government and establish a new kingdom on earth. Jesus is beginning to, and by the way, uh, Peter's probably also thinking, and if you are going to establish the new kingdom... And I'm one of your right-hand guys. That means I'm going to get a plum position in the new administration, right? So Peter is thinking, this is, this is really setting up nice for us. And then Jesus says to him, wait a second, guys, you've completely misunderstood. This is not about an earthly kingdom. In fact, what this world is going to do to me is it's going to kill me. I'm going to die. I'm going to die, and then I will rise again. And Peter's, Peter's so confused, and he comes to me, he says that. And then Jesus says something even more profoundly when he goes on in verse 34 to say this, if anyone would come after me, 
He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. In other words, Jesus is saying to Peter here, this is not just about me, it's also about you. Uh, The way that I'm going to come into life as Lord and Messiah is I'm going to die on a cross. And if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to go through a similar death. What does it mean to take up your cross? It means to embrace the instrument of your own death. It means to, to take hold of that to which you are dying. And so we die, but here's what Jesus says. If you, if you hold on to your life and you continue to try to live your life out of your own strength and your own power, doing your own thing, in the end you will die. But if you will die now to me, you will find life like you can't imagine. So it's costly, isn't it? I mean, to be a follower of Jesus is costly. It costs us everything we have. Let's be very, very clear here that following Jesus is, I've already said it once, but let me just say it again, it's not simply going to church and agreeing with the teachings of the church and and trying to live a decent life, thinking somehow that God is going to grade on the curve, and if I'm just a little bit better than the average, I'm going to be okay. That's not what it's about. Jesus says our fundamental problem is that we are all sinners and God can have nothing to do with sin. So the only way you can be saved is to put your trust in what Jesus Christ has done when he allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be shed for the forgiveness of your sins. He says, so when you come and embrace me, you all, I mean, look at how this principle is built in even into nature and even into God's creation. A seed has to die before it can give life. Jesus had to die on a cross in order to give us life. And we have to die to what? Specifically, what are we dying to? We are dying to the right to be Lord of our own lives. We are dying to the right to be our own God. And we're saying, God, for the rest of my life, I want to submit to you. That doesn't mean you're going to get it perfect for the rest of your life. It doesn't mean you're never going to fail or make mistakes. But it does mean that you have made a lifelong decision to submit to the love and lordship of Jesus Christ over your life. That's the cost of discipleship. But but let me say something here that I think is incredibly important. There is a cost to discipleship. But can I tell you that the cost of not following Jesus is infinitely greater, infinitely greater. One of the best things I've ever read about discipleship was uh, from Dallas Willard. Um, And this is what he says. Uh, And I I put this on because I want you to follow along with me. But Willard says this, first of all, in 1937, Dietrich Bonhoeffer gave the world his classic book, The Cost of Discipleship. It was a masterful attack on easy Christianity or cheap grace. But it did not set aside, perhaps it even enforced, the view of discipleship as a costly spiritual excess. And only for those who are especially driven or called to it. In other words, he's saying that this idea that following Jesus 
is, is costing you everything for some people begins to be interpreted as there are only a few people that can do this. There are only a few special saints like Mother Teresa, uh, Billy Graham, who can do this. Uh, Willard is saying we have missed the point. Uh, it, he says there is a call. It, is right, it was right to point out that one cannot be a disciple without forfeiting things normally sought in human life. But the cost of non-discipleship is far greater, even when this life alone is considered. In other words, not just because you get to go to heaven when you die, but it's better for you now here in this world. Listen to what he says on the next slide. I love this part. He says, non-discipleship cost abiding peace, a life penetrated through by love. It costs you faith that sees everything in the light of God's overriding governance for good. It costs you hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances. It will cost you the power to do what is right and to withstand the forces of evil. In short, it will cost you exactly the abundance of life that Jesus said he came to bring. That is the cost of non-discipleship. Yes, there is a cost of following Jesus. It will cost you the surrender of your will and your life. But what you will gain are all these things. You will gain abiding peace. You will gain a life penetrated throughout by love. You will gain faith that gives you hope in everything. You will gain hopefulness that stands firm in all circumstances. You will gain the power to do what is right. You will gain the abundant life that Jesus came to offer. So we want to be a people who are ever maturing followers of Jesus. We want to know him, we want to walk with him, and we want to keep going deeper and deeper into the life of God. Uh, I want to remind us that in Ezekiel's vision, which is where we got the river of life picture from, do you remember the one part of that, that prophecy? Uh, the, the essence of the prophecy is that the life of God was flowing out of the temple and it became a great river. That everywhere it went, everything it touched began to live. The point being that life is in God. But there was one other little part of that, that prophecy. And it was that initially the river was ankle deep. And then it was knee deep. And then it was way deep, uh, way, uh, waist deep. And then it was over your head deep where you could no longer stand. I believe that is a picture uh, of, of exactly what we're talking about. That, that many of us want, to, we want the life that is in God, but we're just kind of putting our toes in the water and we're just going ankle deep. And, and we get a little taste of it, but we don't get all of these things that discipleship brings It's not until we move into the depths of the river, when we move all in and we're over our head in the life of God, that we begin to experience the fullness of the life of God. Listen, he goes on, there's one more slide there. And he says, the cross-shaped yoke of Christ is after all an instrument of liberation and power to those who live in it. 
The correct perspective is to see following Christ not only as a necessity that it is, but as the fulfillment of the highest human possibilities and as life on the highest plane. If you desire the life that Christ came to offer, it will come by following him and going deeper and deeper in your walk with him. Now, the Lord has been deeply convicting me. I've said this multiple times, that there's some places that we as a church deeply need to shore up. And one of those is around this issue of discipleship. I want to ask a question um, for just a moment. I, I wonder how many of us in this room right now have been personally discipled. What I mean by that is that somebody came alongside you on a, in a one-to-one relationship or maybe a one-to-small-group relationship, but they came alongside you and they said, I'm going to help you understand and learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to show you. I'm going to model for you what the Christian life looks like. Again, be, I want to be very clear what I'm asking. I'm not saying that somebody has done that to you for you from afar, from this stage or from a book or, 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 but somebody, an individual came alongside you and said, I'm going to walk with you in discipleship and help you to understand. Would you just raise your hands? How many of you would say, I've had that? All right. Let, let me do this. Can we, uh, uh, would you just stand for a minute? I'm not, not to bring attention to you. I, I don't want, I don't even, it's not important that you see the faces. I want you to see those who say, yes, I had someone walk with me in that way. All right, now would you be seated? Now would all the rest of you stand up? You see what we're saying? Do you understand that life-to-life discipleship was the way of Jesus? And he said, this is your mission in life? You can be seated again. I want to remind us that when Jesus was here, he said that making disciples is the mission of the church. And what Jesus had in mind when he was talking about making disciples was not church gatherings with one person speaking to 500 people at a time. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Trust me, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Um, uh, Otherwise, my reason for existence goes away, right? Uh, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. But what I am saying is this. Somewhere along the line, we forgot the way Jesus made disciples. The way he made disciples. I mean, you think about this with me for just a minute. I mean, here's Jesus, the Son of God, who has come to earth. And what was his mission? To seek and save the lost, right? His mission was to bring the gospel or the good news of God's love and grace to the whole world. How did he do it? He primarily poured his life into 12 men. 12 men. I mean, yes, he did occasionally preach to the, God, to the masses, but when he did, he didn't really ask for decisions. He didn't say, how many of you want to be converted? You know what he said was, come follow me. Come follow me. Jesus was proclaiming a message of followership. Not just making a decision, but come follow me. And Jesus poured his life 
into the lives of 12 men believing that if he were to give himself deeply to 12 men, their lives would be so transformed that their natural response would be to do the same thing for somebody else. And I mean, just think about the consequences of this. I mean, Jesus comes to save the whole world. And, he, and, he, and his strategy is to radically transform the lives of 12. I believe that by and large, the, the church has forgotten his primary method and we have begun to settle for just proclaiming information, passing out information, and calling people to respond. But we have not learned to walk with people in discipleship. I mean, I, I, when we asked that question earlier, how many of you have not been discipled? Um, I was standing with you. I, I never had anybody just directly one-to-one come and disciple me. Take me on as a disciple and, and teach me and train me. I, I didn't get that. And maybe that's one of the reasons why I, I've not been passionate enough to say we can't settle for less than that. We, we've got to be committed to that kind of discipleship. Now, many of us have, have made it on, we've kind of done it, and, and we've gotten help from other sources. Here's where I want to come back and say this. Am I saying that um, what we do here on Sunday morning is unimportant? Absolutely not. I mean, I'm, to the best of my ability, every Sunday morning, I try to bring you the message of God's Word. And I do believe that if you hear that word and if you put it into practice, your life is going to be transformed. Uh, It's good. It's important. Uh, We just had 14 people stand up and tell you about the classes they're going to teach. Are we saying that those classes aren't very helpful? Of course we're not. We're, We're saying this is a great thing because if you come to a class, you're going to have somebody there teaching you and helping you to, to understand the depths of God's word. Uh, I'll tell you, next week we're going to be talking about community and connecting in community groups. And I will tell you that there's a tremendous amount of discipleship that happens simply by being a part of a community of believers that are trying to live out the Christian life together. Uh, All of this is wonderful. It's great. However, what I am saying is this. Those things, the impact of those things is multiplied when they are built on the foundation of one-on-one discipleship that begins when we first get saved. Now, this is, this is why I, I really believe that, that God is calling us to place a major, major emphasis on discipleship within our church. Um, how does that happen? Where does it happen? Let me, let me just say this. Uh, I, I'm, I'm essentially calling us this morning uh, to give birth to a discipleship movement within our church. And, and I want to say, first of all, that it does start with us personally. I, I'm speaking to all of us here. And I'm saying that, that uh, to, to become a disciple means that I'm beginning to take responsibility for my own personal growth. There was a study done several years ago, 10 or 15 years ago now, by what was at the time the largest church in America, Willow Creek Community Church in, in, uh, uh, in, in just outside Chicago, Illinois. And uh, they, had, they had tens of thousands of people uh, in their movement. And they decided to do something very bold. 
they decided to study the impact of their own methods. And their be- methods were basically to, uh, to try to get as many people saved as possible, but everything was done on a grand scale. Everything was done on a grand scale. Huge meetings, classes, lots of programs, those kinds of things. Here's what they discovered. They discovered that they were pretty successful at getting people saved, at getting people to make a decision to follow Christ. They, they even found that they were fairly successful in getting people to understand the, the meaning of the Christian life. But what people said to them overwhelmingly was this. You have essentially taught me to be completely dependent on you. I, I need you to feed me every week because this is the only nourishment I'm getting. Nobody ever taught me how to feed myself. Nobody ever taught me how to develop a prayer life myself. Nobody ever taught me how to get into God's word and to study God's word for myself. And so what we've done is created a whole community that's dependent on a few to keep them fed. And Willow Creek, first of all, had the courage to share that with the world and said, this is what we've discovered about ourselves. The truth of the matter is they did a study on tons of other churches as well, and they found the same thing was true in almost every one of them. The American church has largely gotten away from life-to-life discipleship and has begun to put all of its emphasis on just passing out information to large groups of people. Again, there is value in that, but that value is particularly strong when it is being built on the foundation of a life of discipleship, the way Jesus did it. So I do want to encourage you to take responsibility for your own spiritual life. I want to encourage you. I'll just share this one scripture from John 15. When we talk about taking responsibility, here's what Jesus said. I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask what you wish and it will be given. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. How do we abide in Christ? To abide in him means to be vitally connected to him. And here's where learning to pray and learning to read God's word and to study God's word is a means of that grace. Praying and reading God's word will not make you uh, in itself is not going to transform your life. But if you see those things as a means to coming into the presence of God where his spirit begins to change you, then they are unbelievably powerful. And I want to call us, that's why many of these classes, you heard the description. They're not just there to give you information. They're there to teach you how to do it yourself. And this is something that we're going to be placing great emphasis on, is that we want to equip all of you. Uh, and, and let me just say, let me say it this way. When we are first saved, we are spiritual infants. Infants. Guess what infants don't know how to do? They don't know how to talk. They don't know how to walk. They can't feed themselves. They can't do anything for themselves. They are completely dependent on someone else. Now, we understand that profoundly when it comes to uh, literal children. 
especially if you're a parent. You know what that looks like. But for some reason, we've got this idea that when Christians get saved, they're just going to automatically become adults. And you don't. The way you grow is that you learn how to talk by being with people who talk to God. That's the way a baby learns, right? The way a baby learns the languages is around people who are talking. Well, the way you learn how to pray is to be with people who are praying out loud. And then you begin to try it. And and initially, it's just babble. I mean, it's just goo-goo and gaga to God. That's about it, right? Can I tell you that God loves your goo-goo and your gaga? I mean, he wants your simple prayers. He wants your elementary prayers because it's as you just keep talking to him that you begin to learn how to talk to God in even more profound ways. How does a baby learn how to walk? It's got somebody there with him to help him take those first steps and to help him balance his way. We do that by connecting deeply to other Christians and learning to walk by watching them walk. Learning to walk by walking with them as they walk. Many of us got saved and we thought that was the end of the journey. We thought we had arrived at the destination. That all Christianity was was essentially a decision that makes sure I get to go to heaven when I die. Jesus says, I want you to grow up into the fullness of the abundant life that I've promised. But you can't get that as a baby. You can't get that as an infant. You can only get that as you come into maturity as a follower of Jesus. And we do it by doing it over and over and over again until we begin to experience the reality of the life of God in those things. So I want to challenge us this morning to personally pursue these means of grace in our walk with God. Secondly, I want to challenge all of us who are parents, who still have children at home, to remember that the home was always meant to be the first place of discipleship. I mean, we say this at Getting Started, we say this in a number of ways, but The children's ministry and the youth ministry of the church is not here to be a substitute for you as a parent when it comes to discipling your kids. No amens on that? Not even one? Our ministries here are meant to partner with you in discipling your children. Now again, I'm just going to be very transparent and tell you, I grew up in a very strong Christian home. Uh, and and I, there's no question that my parents had a profound impact on my life and on my walk with Jesus Christ. And they, and, but it happened organically. And, and let's just say, I mean, in one sense, this is a powerful way to get it. It happened by me watching them, by me observing, by just living with them and, and learning the way they lived. I mean, it, it was very obvious to me that they had a real relationship with God. That called me into one. But you know what? They, they didn't, because they didn't get it, they didn't give me, they didn't really take time to intentionally disciple me as a follower of Jesus. And you know what? Here I am, a pastor. I've got a kid who's 20 and another one who's 17. And I pray that the life my wife and I have lived and the things that we have taught them in the moment the organic kind of things, teaching them in the moment. I pray that the way they've seen us live has had a profound impact on their lives. But the Lord convicted me this year 
you need to disciple your sons. You need to disciple your sons. It's not too late. Start meeting with them every week and start walking through the fundamentals of the Christian life so that you don't just hope that they got it. Make sure they've got it. Walk with them through this. Let me share with you Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now you'll notice that much of what's talked about here is this, uh, just be, be constantly teaching your children through everything you do. Please hear me say that is the most profound thing you can do. It's for you personally to live the Christian life before your kids. But there is also intentionality here that says look for opportunities to teach them and train them in the things of God. And I want to challenge this. Please, please don't hear in any way that this is a, a condemnation or piling on parents who just, if you didn't get this from your parents, it's, it's not likely you've given it to yours. But I want to say for many of us, it's not too late. We can start doing that now. We can commit to an intentional plan for discipling our children at home. And what we do here at church will come alongside you to supplement what you're already doing at home. The next thing is this. I have put the call out to our staff that we want to bring discipleship into the heart of all that we do as a church. In other words, the primary purpose of our children's ministry is to disciple our kids. The primary ministry of youth ministry is to disciple our youth, our young adults, our men's ministry. I I would love to see one-on-one or one-on-two or three discipleship beginning to happen everywhere in our body. In our community groups, in our discipleship, I mean, in in life school, in man school, in women's ministry, that we begin to put more and more emphasis on connecting with each other on a deeper level for those who are more mature, pouring their lives into someone else who needs to be discipled. You You know what I think is one of the greatest tragedies? One of the greatest tragedies of the church is when someone comes in They hear the gospel. Their heart lights up with hope. They believe God has invited me, has called me into this relationship with him. And they take that first step. And and they think that that means I'm now there and this this thing is going to just kind of come naturally from here on out. And all of a sudden they realize, I don't know how to walk. I don't know how to talk. And there's nobody there to show them the way. And it breaks my heart to think of the number of people that started that journey with excitement, but it's somewhere along the way lost it because there was no one there to teach them, no one there to train them, no one there to come alongside them. This morning, I'm simply asking this. I'm not, I'm not asking you to sign up for anything. I'm not asking you to commit to anything. Specifically, what I'm saying is this. I want you to know that we as a staff are going to begin to put a great deal of emphasis on discipleship. And as we do, as you plug into this body, I want to encourage you, if you're a new Christian, 
Be willing to be discipled. Be willing to be discipled. Be willing to let someone come into your life and walk with you because we want to help you live out that life. If you're a mature Christian, that you would be willing to take on someone in your life that you could spend just an hour a week or a couple hours a month walking with them, helping them to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus on a personal level. That is a call that we're putting out. And let me just say finally this. What would be the most incredible reality is if this discipleship movement began to leap the bounds of the walls of this church. And you begin to identify people in your life outside of church who don't yet know him. And you don't just live a good life before them. And you don't even just at some point ask them, have you ever accepted Christ as your Savior? You offer yourself to them to say, I want to walk with you. I want to help you to understand what this looks like. And if throughout this church we began to see people outside of these walls brought into a relationship with Jesus through life-to-life discipleship, doing it the way Jesus did it. I'm going to ask those who are serving this morning to go ahead and come and prepare the elements. And I simply want to ask you this morning the, the question, first of all this, who do you say that Jesus Christ is? Who do you personally say that Jesus Christ is? Have you known him as Lord? If not, then please come this morning. Let someone pray with you. And let's start that journey together. We want to invite you this morning into salvation and a life with God. Uh, For those of you who are already saved, uh, maybe you need to come this morning and kneel at these altars and just say, Lord... I want to pursue you more. I I want to get out of the shallows and I want to get into the deeps. I want to learn how to pray more profoundly. I want to get into your word and and to truly let you speak to me through your word. And then maybe this morning the Lord is already putting on some of your hearts someone that you could come alongside, a child or a friend, co-worker, that you could begin to bring into your life as a disciple. I'm going to ask you, if you will, just to stand and let's begin to respond however the Lord leads you to respond this morning. Let's come as followers of Jesus.